I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about ask the right election fraud question, Justice Alito and election litigation status, Kill Chain and the ELV.com website, and Sullivan still flogging Flynn. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. You know, over the weekend or every time I think about doing my show, I'm always thinking about the, you know, kind of news stories, what news stories are there. Maybe we can dive into some other detail and some stories. But the only thing that matters right now in the grand scheme of the American political conversation of the American landscape is whether or not we Americans can get the 2020 election results right. That's what matters. Can we get it right? Can we do something about what is now evident to everyone paying attention, the massive election fraud? Or are we just stymied and just can't figure out what way to go with it, what to do about it? The question we need to be asking ourselves is cannot be, we must stop agreeing with anyone who is saying, can we, did election fraud occur? Did the election fraud that occurred make a difference? How much of a difference does it really matter? These are not the questions anymore. The only question is how to use our American system of governance, the Constitution and the laws, to make the election outcome, to make the decision about who was inaugurated on January 20th, 2021, comport with the will of the voters. How? It is not whether we can use our election system to force the right result. It must be how. How do we use the system we have to bring about the right answer? The election fraud evidence continues to mount and it's insurmountable. It, is, it seems insurmountable. It is irrefutable. It is uh, more information comes out all the time. And yet we seem to be in a place where you even have elected Republicans such as my own U.S. Senator John Cornyn, who has been widely despised by conservatives for decades, and certainly in recent election cycles, people are wishing somehow, it's so, so hard to remove an incumbent, but recently actually put out a statement. Republican Senator John Cornyn from the great state of Texas put out the statement, well, Trump hasn't proved his case of election fraud. So I guess there's not, so nothing, so Congress can't do anything about it. Congress can't do a thing about it. He's actually said that. That was a new, that was a press release, which of course got wide attention, especially among the leftists. So in the first five today, I want to start with reminding you, the question is not whether or not we can figure out what happened. We know what happened. The massive election fraud, the attempt to steal the re-election of President Trump and hand it by fraud to Joe Biden. So we already know what happened. And the question cannot be, can we do anything about it or is it too late? The answer is our system has to comport, has to get around to bringing the right result, the fair result, the honest result of the elections of 2020. And it is so important. I, I was trying to think of analogies um, because part of what you hear people say, like uh, John Cornyn and other uh, alleged Republicans, is, well, you know, there's some evidence, but there is cheating in every election. We don't know nothing special here. When everyone can see that it was a combination of numerous massive efforts at election fraud through the electronic manipulation of voting tabulation software, the whole Dominion voting, Smartmatic issue, where it was feeding of the same ballots over and over and over and over through, election, through the ballot counters, where it was a dropping of the of ballots that were a result of the completely unnecessary uh, push for mail-in ballots in this election cycle. So the use of massive fraudulent mail-in ballots dropped into place when needed on election night when the leftists figured out they hadn't cheated quite enough with their algorithm to get Biden over the finish line. So then they decided, well, we're not going to use mail-in ballots. 
the scope of fraud and, this, and the uh, breadth of it, the, the kinds of fraud and the amount of fraud are enough all by themselves for Americans who are honest and paying attention to say, clearly Joe Biden did not win. Clearly Trump won re-election. And we are facing, the argument from the left is, because the, the uh, I don't even know who you blame, and that's one of the questions people have is, who did all this? I don't think it's just one person. I think Soros-affiliated people were certainly involved. I think Dominion Voting Systems and Smartmatic and their officials were very much involved. I think officials in most of the swing states, probably all the swing states and other states were involved. There was a massive involvement of many people. But the question for the American people is, are we going to agree? Because their argument kind of is, because we succeeded in cheating and you didn't catch us soon enough, and now we have Electoral College a week away. It's a week from today. So the answer, the left is kind of arguing, well, because we managed to pull all this off and we did it under the radar and you didn't see it coming or didn't see it coming fast enough, or you didn't fix it fast enough, you have to just surrender the free elections America is founded on. You have to surrender the right of the American people to choose their president. That's what the left is arguing. That's what John Cornyn is arguing. He is not arguing anything noble or virtuous or righteous. He's arguing because the leftists managed to steal this election in a way that we didn't see it coming. We couldn't fix it ahead of time. We couldn't catch up with all of the fraud fast enough. We're simply forced as the American people to accept a fraudulent election. This is what Cornyn is arguing. This is what all the elected Republicans who are equally weighing in with these chicken-hearted statements. He's, well, I guess he hasn't proved But I want to dive in and talk about this much more. And I want to make a couple of analogies to you. One is, if, you know, that everyone's arguing that this is, you know, the evidence is just circumstantial. Yes, we had ballot stuffing. Yes, we had, you know, uh, peop uh, people testifying under penalty of perjury. Normal, everyday citizens who have no interest in becoming political or television or media stars are going out on a limb, signing their name under penalty of perjury, telling the legislatures and the courts in various cases, this is what happened. I saw it happen. You have that kind of determination on the part of American citizens willing to put themselves out on a limb, and you have the spineless Republicans and, of course, Democrats were happy with the result of Biden winning. But you have the spineless Republicans saying, well, you know, seems like we can't prove enough fraud here. So I want to run through uh, two analogies. One is the first or, or one more point and then two analogies. The point being the argument that the left and John Cornyn and other spineless Republicans are saying is this. Trump hasn't proven election fraud. And therefore, we can't take any legal action based on all the fraud we know about, because Trump hasn't proven election fraud. And I want you to focus on, think about, what does proof mean in a case like this? They act like that unless Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani or anyone else involved in this can produce an affidavit sworn on a penalty of perjury by every member of the Dominion voting machine company uh, leadership, everybody who heads up Smartmatic, Everybody involved in the stuffing of the ballot boxes in the legislature, in the voting booths around this country, unless Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and everybody else can produce sworn affidavits by all the wrongdoers admitting their wrongdoing, say, yeah, as a matter of fact, well, dang, you caught us. We did try to steal the election. Here's what we did. You know, we allowed electronic manipulation of voting data. Uh, and then we, we shifted voting data using algorithms. And then we had people on the ground keeping track of the election night returns. And when we saw that clearly Trump was going to win re-election anyway, then we quick froze up the counting in the, in the relevant states and dropped in these magical mail-in ballots, millions of them, all pro-Biden, all of them going Biden's way, not Trump's way. Yes, we confess to all of that. What Cornyn and the other spineless people are saying is that unless the kind of proof, which is practically a factual admission of all wrongdoing, is produced by Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, that Trump hasn't proven his case. That is ludicrous, and that is what they are arguing, because the evidence is overwhelming, and circumstantial evidence does count. Circumstantial evidence is used all the time in criminal prosecutions. Most times, 
They don't want to have merely circumstantial evidence. It's much better, of course, to have direct eyewitness testimony, uh, other forms of direct evidence, uh, physical evidence of some kind to prove a, a, cr a criminal case. But circumstantial evidence is not somehow inadmissible. It is what is relied on all the time. So here are my two analogies. This is what I am telling you, these two analogies, these are the, this is really what John Cornyn and the Republicans who are spinelessly weighing in saying, well, you know, haven't proven fraud, so I guess we all just gotta shut up and let Biden take office. Imagine in a criminal prosecution for murder, how dedicated our entire system would be to getting to the truth of what happened. If you had a criminal prosecution and the prosecutor was seeking the death penalty, our system bends over backwards to make sure that justice is being done, bends over backwards to make sure that every legal argument is tracked down, briefed and argued and ruled on, every possible indicia of bias of the prosecutor or some of the, of the police or the witnesses, every possible avenue of defense that would either say, you know, prove a person's innocence or in some uh, uh, lesser way mitigate the charges that they were, that, that were laid against them. You might reduce charges based on some facts. We go out of our way to make sure we do not wrongly impose the death penalty in this country. I'm not saying we have been perfect. Of course, there have been times when innocent people were put to death and, and wrongly. And what we have done as a result is, is grown more determined, more determined to make sure we uncover every bit of information. That is the attitude every judge, state and federal court judge in this country and every legislator in this country who is sitting in judgment on this election, that is the attitude they should have. Because this case, getting the election results right, is just as important as whether or not you sentence someone to death in a criminal prosecution. We have to have that level of determination. And what you have instead is governors saying, well, we can't really pursue that. We don't really know. No, we're not going to do an audit. No, we're not going to do signature verification. No, we're not going to pursue that. I don't think we've got to do an audit in these machines. You have it a lackadaisical, you know, kind of tossing your hands up. What are we going to do? Get, you know, we can't really do that attitude. And that's unacceptable when you are talking about changing the leadership of this country changing the outcome of an election, putting someone in that Oval Office in Washington, D.C. It's unacceptable to have the lackadaisical attitude that is spewing out of too many people's mouths in this election cycle, including John Cornyn. We have to have the tenacity, the determination, the way you'd have it in a criminal prosecution for murder, which is you have to uncover every stone. You have to understand what happened. We can wait. We can wait for the truthful answer in the election. We can wait to find out the scope of fraud, the depth of fraud, how the machines were manipulated, how many votes it, it impacted. We must pursue the truth. Second analogy in today's first five. If somebody was watching someone's house, sitting in their own home, looking at the house across the street, and they see a car full of people pull up, but they're, you know, they're masked so you can't see them, and they jump out of the car and they have blow torches and gasoline and other highly flammable liquids and they run around the house and they pour that gasoline and they use the blow torches and they throw Molotov cocktails and the house erupts in flames and the neighbor across the street calls to report arson and the police say well we can't really be sure it's arson we, we don't know it's arson just because you saw the people with the gasoline and other flammable liquids, and you saw the blow torches, and you saw the Molotov cocktails. Unless you have a, an ID, you can tell us exactly who did it. Unless you can name the people that you couldn't even see because they had masks on. Unless you have the serial numbers of the blow torches, we can't conclude it was arson. We don't know. Maybe it wasn't arson. Maybe it was spontaneous combustion of that house. You don't know. People, it is that level of idiocy on the part of the legislators, governors, 
court judges, everyone involved in this process, they are watching with that level of certainty what happened in these elections and trying to pretend they can't figure out whether or not they should conclude that arson occurred. You don't have to pretend, we don't have to indulge stupid. We don't have to indulge the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. We don't know what happened. Hey, somehow seems Biden won. We don't know. We don't have to tolerate that. We don't have to put up with that. We, the people of this country, have got to be insisting that every person involved in this process feels the heat from the people of the United States of America saying, we want the truth. And we demand that you do your job and that you look at all of the allegations of vote fraud, including running numerous ballots through the machines, including the thing we're talking about happened in Georgia. We had that wonderful video uh, showing that when everything was shut down and people were sent off for home, uh, you know, home for the day, and then we have the election workers pulling the suitcases out and, and filled, filled with ballots and running ballots through after the poll watchers were gone. And that same incident in, in Georgia, consistent with the timing of those ballots being pulled out and run through, there's a major spike in the vote count, and it wasn't for Trump. It was for Biden. But somehow, we all are supposed to sit back and say, well, we don't know for sure. So I called this first five, asked the right question, and I, I mean this very earnestly and sincerely. Stop indulging the pundits and elected officials and defenders of the Democrat media mob who are saying, well, we just can't tell. We don't know. Could have been fraud. Clearly, we've seen fraud. And the idea that we're going to accept it or accept a decision by a legislature or a court to say, well, we can't look into it. Sorry. When the consequence, it's not like whether you're going to have to pay a $100 fine for a speeding ticket that you want to pursue challenging further. It's not a little issue. It is the future of America. Not just who runs this country for four years, but whether or not we can ever rely on a free and fair election again in this country if we don't get to the root of what the left pulled off in this election cycle. I have a lot more to say on this, but that, my very fine friends, is, is today's first five. I mentioned when I started the show, running through my topics, I wanted to talk about uh, Alito and election litigation status and all that. I want to just tell you a couple of things that um, I, I have available. I have, okay, I always used to joke when I did the show on Salem Radio, and you know, it was like an hour or two hours. I used to say, you know, uh, in case I get snowed in for like a week, I have enough stories. It's always true. When I come to do this show, I always have much more uh, material than time. This is, hey, you know, it's fun. But anyway. So last, so I have a lot of material with me. Uh, last week, um, I gave a speech to a group. It had to end up being on Zoom online because of COVID. I mean, I would have gone in person, but they put the meeting on, on um, Zoom. And I, so it caused me to assemble a lot of information. I have, I have a happy little cheat sheet, my information I assembled. I have all sorts of articles, but I'll just give you the gist of where we are. The, the election, uh, electoral college is a week from today. 270 votes are required to be named the winner. President Trump, everyone agrees, has 232 for sure unquestioned. The states in question, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Those are the states where there's litigation, where, there's a, where the, the, uh, they have certified the election for Biden. And there's evidence of massive voter fraud and so far, neither the Trump official team, Rudy Giuliani, excuse me, Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, as well as the Sidney Powell team, as well as the Amistad Project team, have so far not yet been able to work free uh, to get to the question of how and whether you can get these states to decertify what they previously certified based on the amount of fraud. And a lot of them don't even want to hear or see or know about the fraud being alleged. They kind of have a, if you don't tell me about it, I don't know. But I will tell you, we're going to hit Georgia a bunch today. Georgia has a lot going on. Uh, Georgia has 16 electoral votes. Um, so that would get Trump from 232 to, 40, to 248. 
he would only need 12 more. So um, he has 232, so 242, no, I'm, I can't do math very well. 232 and 16. So if he, yeah, if he got, uh, if he got um, Georgia, he'd be at 248, and then he has to get to 278. So he got uh, Pennsylvania and Arizona, or I mean, you could do a combination, get a bunch of these in. He has several ways to get to 270. And in Georgia, I guess I'll just start there, uh, where we are in the situation in Georgia. Um, and that is that and I, I want to, if I have time today, to, to kind of remind you of some of the overarching, uh, ridiculous, I mean, overarching facts that this common sense, I'm saying we get to use common sense. We don't have to accept what the left is saying. Well, because you don't have a signed confession by every wrongdoer, Trump hasn't proved his case. Therefore, move along. Biden wins. Among the many things that people with common sense and reason can embrace is the, the mountain of data that just make it absurd to argue that Biden could have won in this election cycle. But I do want to hit up on, and talk about Georgia a little bit. Um, and so first of all, uh, in Georgia, uh, there is a... Um, I guess am I? Okay. Uh, there's a new lawsuit. Trump's team has filed a new lawsuit. This is now the Giuliani team. This is not Sydney. Filed a new lawsuit in Georgia. So just so you understand, we're going to get to the fact the, um, you know, where we are with the other litigation. But in Georgia, the Trump team has filed a new lawsuit. And this is kind of, this is not alleging electronic manipulation of voting uh, tabulation software or to use the, the term, you know, vote switching. This is not about electronic vote switching. This is just the unbelievable, haphazard, completely irresponsible way in which Georgia administered this election. So, new criminal complaint filed in state court in Georgia, Fulton County Superior Court, filed by state Republican Chairman David Schaefer and President Trump on Friday. It runs through a series of things that actually happened in Georgia. Actual votes, people who were permitted to vote in Georgia. Here you go. 2,560 felons who don't have a right to vote there. 66,247 underage residents. 66,247 underage. 2,423 people were able to vote in Georgia who were not on the state's voter rolls. Almost 5,000, 4,926 voters who registered in another state after they registered in Georgia. So they registered in Georgia, they registered somewhere else, so they're no longer eligible to vote in Georgia. Almost 5,000 of them. Uh, almost 400 people who cast votes in another state for the same election, so people voting in two states. Um, people who didn't file on time for, to register in the correct county. 40,000 people moved from between counties and didn't re-register. Um, uh, anyway, people, 98 people registered after the deadline and a grand total, a whopping total of 10,315 people, 10,315 people who were deceased at the time they voted. This is just the uh, one state and one bit of data pulled together by the Trump team in Georgia. It goes on and on and on. Um, and also, you know, they had the absentee ballot, you know, went wild with that. So they had uh, absentee ballots, but they have state laws, of course, in Georgia. 305,000, 305,000, actually 701 people apply for the absentee ballot after the deadline. So they didn't follow state law. So they don't get to have the votes count. I'm getting at the fact, even if you think the complexity of the vote switching, electronic vote switching is complex, it's important, and we're going to have Colonel Waldron on with us on Wednesday to talk about this, but this is, this is, these are huge numbers. These are outcome changing numbers, outcome changing numbers in Georgia. And so far you have, of course, the Georgia governor saying, no, nah, you know, we're not really going to be uh, moving forward with, um, you know, with uh, the having the legislature, well, we don't think we need to do that. We're not going with the legislature again. Georgia governor, no, nah, we can't be bothered. Um, and also, by the way, that vote, that um, video you saw, I'm, I'm sure you also, I didn't bring it for today because I thought all of you probably saw it over the weekend five times, but in the election uh, in uh, counting area where the poll, the poll watchers have been told, sent home, we're done for the day, security cameras on, and you can see people after all the poll watchers sent home coming back in, pulling out 
suitcases full of ballots and running those ballots. And that's when you see the big spike for Biden. And of course, the instant story, which of course, you know, in, in the same league of people who say, but Trump hasn't proved um, his case, are saying, oh, there was nothing wrong there. They, you know, they were, you, you don't understand. They weren't doing anything wrong. It was totally fine. And they put out this line that the leftists always use, that the vote, the, the suitcase, the ballots full of votes in Georgia, uh, the suitcases full of votes, it was debunked. I can go through all the reasons, but no, no, the people defending what happened in Georgia did not succeed in debunking what your eyes and ears told you. They're just telling you that. So we have in Georgia, you know, that uh, very serious, um, you know, uh, very serious, watch it with your own eyes video. Uh, you also had in Georgia, they've begun to uh, test some of the Dominion voting machines. So Voter Georgia announced today, it confirmed that the Dominion Democracy Suite 5.5 system used throughout Georgia, flipped dozens of votes, votes cast in at least one county for Trump to former Joe Biden, to, to Joe Biden. Dominion vote flipping from Trump to Biden previously believed to have occurred only in Antrim County, uh, Michigan, actually in Georgia, the Ware County elections director confirmed that they recently completed hand count audit totals showed the total electronic vote count shorted took away votes from Trump by 37 and added those 37 to Biden. The 74 effective, vote, effective votes represent 0.52 um, of the uh, 14,000 and change county votes cast, exactly double Biden's total statewide margin. The point is, as we're beginning, look at these machines. Yes, they are finding fraud. And yet here we are, a week before the Electoral College and George is kind of saying, well, you know, we can't really, we can't really see a way to help out here. Well, I don't think so. Um, and I, I can't, just can't tell you how um, enraging this is for American citizens. Um, and just, you know, you think, well, if you guys can't even be bothered, if you can't even figure that out, you know, then why? I mean, instead of saying, well, Trump hasn't proven that he, you know, that he was cheated. He hasn't proven fraud. Biden hasn't proved he won. The states haven't proved that Biden won. The states certifying his victory have not proven they have done that based on facts. We're being pushed around by the media narrative that says, well, Biden won, now Trump's having a temper tantrum. And we need to stop doing that. Stop humoring that concept that unless Trump can show, you know, affidavits signed under penalty of perjury, we admit we stole the whole election, we did this, we did this, unless we have admissions, he hasn't proved anything. His team has already proved enough so that entire, the, the entire population of America should be demanding that we get to the bottom of it. But anyway, so Dominion has proved that their machines, uh, Georgia has proved Dominion's uh, system flipped votes in Georgia. Um, you also, and, and that video was not debunked. Uh, also, the uh, woman who was seen in the, uh, the, the um, security camera with, with the votes, uh, she originally named Ruby Freeman, said, oh yeah, I'll give interviews. And then she went on second thought, you know what, I think I better lawyer up. Yeah, she's not gotten a lawyer, so never mind about that interviews thing. She's not gonna talk to people. Um, as a, you know, I'm kind of running through where we are and all of this uh, election stuff. I wanna share with you Congressman, a, a, a U.S. Congressman from the great state of Texas, uh, Babin, uh, his name is Brian Babin, introduced a new bill in Congress, which has got a really funny name called, You Must Be Alive to Vote Act. That's, yeah, it's called You Must Be Alive to Vote Act. And it's actually just confirming that, yes, actually under our constitutional system, you can't vote if you are residing in the cemetery and your vote can't be counted no matter who tried to vote in your name. I assume it actually has some teeth to it and some substance and penalties because that was another massive fraud in this election cycle being totally ignored by the, um, you know, see no evil monkeys and the left. But I mentioned I want to talk about Justice Alito. Uh, there's one really good thing um, that kind of, I don't know where it's going to go, um, but Justice Alito, Supreme Court Justice Alito, um, has, he is the one, you know, they have the Supreme Court justices are assigned circuits. That the countries divide up in, in circuits, you know, federal court systems. So we have the district courts, and then above them, the appellate court and the federal level, the circuit courts. 
the um, Circuit Courts of Appeal and then the Supreme Court. And the Circuit Courts, courts are, are divided up among the judges. Alito has, um, is now assigned to the um, district where Pennsylvania is. And he just changed a deadline for some litigation in Pennsylvania arising out of the Pennsylvania uh, elections. And his, the basic point of this is um, there is, under uh, the way we get around to electoral college vote, a week from today, um, there is a, um, I just forget the term they use for it, a safe harbor date. Safe harbor date. And the safe harbor date this time falls tomorrow, the 8th. Just saying, essentially, by that date, all these uh, states are to have certified that they actually have chosen electors. The electors know who they're supposed to vote for. They know the results of the outcome of the election in their state. And they're all set to go have the formal electoral college vote on October 14th, excuse me, on December 14th. So Alito had a case in uh, pending arising out of Pennsylvania, and he moved the date up. So some people are kind of speculating, there's no, nothing he said guarantees this, but kind of speculating that um, he may have actually done that in order to um, give himself room under the safe harbor thing to say to Pennsylvania, essentially, you know, you can't, you can't certify this. It's unclear, but it's a little glimmer of hope. But on the subject of Pennsylvania, I think it's good to understand all these little ins and outs and what's going on. In the state of Pennsylvania, or you remember we talked about in the show before, uh, the Constitution says, our U.S. Constitution says, that you must have, um, that the states actually, the state legislatures who are elected, they actually make the law with respect to voting in each state. So some states have no early voting, or I think some still have no early voting. Some have different deadlines to register. You know, they have day of uh, election registration. Some states have you know, uh, early voting for two weeks or longer. I mean, they, states have their own, you know, it's a hodgepodge. It is a decision by each legislature for whatever reasons they have, that they do the things the way they do. And so in Pennsylvania, uh, there is a, um, another kind of legal doctrine to understand is usually the United States Supreme Court, the federal, the U.S. Supreme Court, will not issue opinions of a Supreme Court in a state and make a finding that that Supreme Court of that state misinterpreted their own constitution. I mean, for in this case, Pennsylvania, had the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania had a decision to make about whether the mail-in ballot provisions that the legislature passed were consistent with the Pennsylvania constitution. And the answer, in fact, was no, that the legislature's provisions were not. But this, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, they fine, we're fine with this, we're going to let it go. So the Pennsylvania Supreme Court essentially ruled that the legislature could pass something that was inconsistent with the Pennsylvania Constitution. So then that's one of the issues that will be before the Supreme Court. Is, and, the, and the Supreme Court is not prohibited. It's not, there's no you know, absolute law that says the Supreme Court cannot overrule the highest court of a state but it would be you know it's very very unusual but in this case in pennsylvania the supreme court ruled uh, on count on the state court uh, ruled in their state pennsylvania state court level um uh, that these uh the vote by mail law um, was consistent or was permissible under the pennsylvania constitution and the vote by mail the constitution says lists only four classes of voters who are entitled to vote absentee. And this is kind of how we have it in Texas, where you have to have a reason to vote absentee. You can't just choose to. Um, you have to fit in a category. Well, they have that in Pennsylvania. And they have, so they have in the Constitution, it says the only way you can vote, um, vote by mail in Pennsylvania, is uh, if you get an absentee ballot because of uh, work, physical incapacity, religious obligation, or election-related duties in the case of county employees. Well, that was overruled or ignored by the Pennsylvania legislature in permitting massive mail-out ballots. And then you get around to this election, which appears to have been stolen pretty much, by the way, in four jurisdictions. You realize it's pretty much four jurisdictions that we're really fussing about in this whole election thing, one of them being Philadelphia. In any case, um, 
many people said, well, obviously the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania just decided, you know what, we're going to let it go. Well, we don't really care. And so there is some question, would the Supreme Court actually violate the kind of standing assumption that the Supreme Court doesn't overrule the rulings of the highest court in a state inconsistent with its own constitution? I hope they, they will consider that. But I want to get around to a few other things that are just, we're going to get to Sidney Powell litigation too. I'm trying to give you a rundown of where we are. I, I tried to start the show today with my big point, my big point, and I've been, it's, I said it in many w different words over the last week or more, which is this, America should never agree to live under a fraudulently elected administration. America should never agree to be ruled by fraud. We cannot let fraud in the election process, in the scope and breadth and depth that happened this time, we can't just let it go. We can't just say, well, okay, I guess we can't do anything about it. The answer has to be, we're going to do something about it. We're going to fix this somehow in our system. So now, getting around to Alan Dershowitz, uh, you know, the very controversial and, and entertaining Harvard Law professor, um, he said on Sunday that the Supreme Court may get involved in adjudicating whether state legislators have the power to pick alternate electoral college electors who would vote for President Trump if the legislatures determine there was voter fraud. And here's the most important thing. Even after an initial state of electors has cast its votes on December 14th. And I want to talk about that. So we, every state in the country picks electors. They go off. They are, I don't know if, I don't think they physically meet, but anyway, they, they vote on December 14th. And people run to be an elector. I mean, I'll just tell you very quickly, Electoral College, what it's made up of. It is, Electoral College has one person there for every congressional district in this country. So we have 435 members of Congress. And so, so where I live is a congressional district in Texas. So we have one elector. Every congressional district in every state in the country gets one elector and then every so it's considering representing that particular congressional district and every senator. So there's 100 senators, two from each state. Every senator is represented by one elector in electoral college. So you have 435 members of Congress have one elector from their district. 100 senators have, you know, so there's 100 more people added to electoral college. And then because of a fairly recent law, uh, the District of Columbia has three electors. That's where you get to the total number of people in electoral college. And electoral college meets under the constitution uh, on the first Monday following the second Wednesday after the November election. That is where electoral college comes from. What Dershowitz is saying though is, because there is authority for the Congress to get involved in a case such as this, and, and by the way, I've said it every show I think since election day, we're in uncharted territory in America on many, many, many legal issues. But what Dershowitz is saying is, even if we have these fraudulent elections in these states we were talking about, and the state refuses to investigate, refuses to root out, refuses to get to the truth, so these electors march off to go electoral college December 14th, and they vote Biden in. He gets 270 or more votes. Even then, Dershowitz is saying, even after that happens, that he believes that uh, the Supreme Court could get involved in adjudicating the question of whether or not state, state legislators have the power to pick alternate electoral college electors who would vote for Donald Trump if the legislatures determine that there was voter fraud. Part of the push of the left who's trying to say, you know, uh, it's too late, you can't be litigating this now, we don't have enough time, we have a system, we have to have a system in place, it can't change. They're trying to get past the magical deadline of December 14th, Electoral College, to say, you know, well now Electoral College has met, we're done, Biden wins, doesn't matter how much fraud you uncover, doesn't matter if Trump won the national popular vote, doesn't matter if Trump won, you know, truly won, when you only count legal votes, won an overwhelming majority of the Electoral College, doesn't matter, game over, 
December 14th, this is what the left is trying to argue. And Dershowitz is saying, I don't think so. Not so fast. I don't think so. He's making that argument. He said the remark in an interview on Fox News. He was first asked what he thought about claims about Trump's, you know, Giuliani and all that pattern of fraudulent activity. And he said, Giuliani said, there certainly is probable ca probably cause for investigating, looking further, very serious accusations. The question is, which institution is designed constitutionally to look into it? Which institution? That would be the Supreme Court, other federal courts, but they'll probably wuss out. Is it the courts? Is the clock running in such a way that there won't be time to look into it? And I have to tell you people, I, I want to encourage you again to think about the fraud in other contexts in our country. We do not decide that when someone has committed fraud, they've embezzled money, they have whatever other kinds of fraud occur. We don't have a legal standard in this country that says, well, because you got away with that fraud, now that we've uncovered it and proved it, never mind, you can keep the money. You can keep what you fraudulently embezzled. You can keep the results of your fraud. We don't do that in any other aspect of American culture and law and society. We right the wrong. And this is part of what he's saying is somebody we have to decide, and it's going to have to be the Supreme Court, and ultimately maybe go to Congress, but the Supreme Court saying we can't just humor this fraud. So very, very interesting thing, uh, statement out of him. Uh, one other thing is very interesting that is, is, is developing all this, how are we going to solve all this amazing, amazing mess? Um, he's saying the unanswered constitutional question is whether or not the state legislatures have the power to pick electors after the voters vote if they conclude that the voters count has been in some way fraudulent or wrong. This is a constitutional question we don't know the answer to and the Supreme Court may get to decide that question if a state legislature decides to determine who the electors should be and change the electors from Biden to Trump. That'll be the key constitutional question. One other point in all of this, and this is true, I have to tell you guys, my very, friend, my very fine listeners and friends, that I think this, this election, as I've been telling you, I mean, for two years at least, this election of 2020 could not be more enormously consequential to America. The choice of who leads America next four years is not just between the person with a D by their name and a person with an R by their name. It is about whether or not we continue to support the America as founded with rights from God simply because you're born, as the Declaration says, it's that choice of following America, keeping America free, keeping free markets, keeping America strong and sovereign with borders and border security and a strong and so economy and a bustling economy and a sovereign nation. All of that, that's on the side of Donald Trump. That's what he ran on. He really didn't run that much as a Republican. He ran as an American. And that's why the voters liked him so much. That's why he brought over so many Democrat voters, because he ran as an American. Where Biden, and even more so, Kamala Harris live ideologically, politically, is right down the path of the Marxist left that is stampeding its way to America's institutions and will, if given the power, will, if given the power, surrender all of the great goodness of America, surrender the very freedoms on which we are founded. This is where we are headed in this election. And this is why people are so concerned about it. So, so Amistad Project has something interesting to say. Amistad Project is a part of the, uh, the nonpartisan Thomas More Society. And they actually put out an opinion piece. I mean, they're legal, they're law people. I mean, they you know, study the law, but making the case that the only constitutionally set date and the entire process between election day and the swearing in on January 20th of the new president, they're saying the only constitutionally set date in the election process is January 20th, when the next president of the United States will be sworn in. All other dates, including the safe harbor deadline, the electoral college vote on December 14th, and even the congressional vote count on January 6th, which is the next whole thing we haven't talked about yet, all of those are dates set by federal law, which the document argues are arbitrary. So this is what Amistad is saying is, you know what, we don't even have to humor this electoral college on December 14th. I think I said previous that's in the Constitution, that's in federal law. 
as an interpretation of or setting up a, a system for the uh, setting of the timing of the Electoral College. But these people, Amistad Project, are saying, you know, we're in uncharted territory here. And the idea that we're going to force America to prematurely choose the next president at the Electoral College before we know who won the election, before we track down the enormous evidence of fraud, before we have America understand what it is, uh, that cannot stand. That, that, that the higher and better answer is we get to truth first, everything else can be put off until we finally get to the inauguration on January 20th. But in between now and then, we can change dates based on, this, on the emergency nature of what we are facing. We have never in the history of the United States of America had this level of potential constitutional crisis and electoral crisis and corruption of the electoral system in this country. There has been, as we're uncovering what we're seeing now, evidence, this has been corrupt for a while, and there has been cheating happening of this kind, especially the electronic manipulation of voter tabulation software, the vote switching. That's been happening, apparently, since around the year 2000 or 2002. So we've had other elections, notably likely probably the 2012 presidential election, impacted by this form of cheating. But all of this, where we are now, absolutely novel territory for all of America to face. And the American people should be part of the decision-making process. We should be part of the protests out in the streets, demanding that the law is followed, demanding that the courts do not just allow the Democrat media mob to steamroll our election and to force us to accept someone who is not elected. The people have a voice, you have a voice, by speaking up in, in marches and rallies and going to Washington on December 12th if you can, or which is this coming Saturday, or rallying wherever you live with other people standing up to say, you know, to stop the steal, stop the steal vote. Okay, two other things, and very quick, I have one last quick topic, but two other quick things in this arena. Um, one was uh, Sidney Powell has had two of her lawsuits dismissed in Georgia and Michigan based on this electronic voting manipulation uh, tabulation software. I mean, it's a massive, massive and complex thing that she had to put together in a very short amount of time. Litigation that would normally take years, she had weeks to put together. And in both cases, uh, Georgia and Michigan, on her allegations of electronic manipulation of software, uh, her cases were dismissed. That doesn't mean it's over. It means that she can then appeal to the relevant circuit court, the, the federal appellate court above these district courts. Obviously, it would have been great to have them agree she was right or a quick hold an emergency hearing, look at the evidence. But, you know, it's near, not nearly over just because these two judges. And the one I will tell you in uh, Michigan, an, an Obama appointee was, had just full of snark and condescension toward uh, Sidney Powell's efforts to straighten things out. It, it's just truly amazing. Anyway. Um, I had a quick segment I told, I told Matt, the one I want to talk about, uh, Kill Chain and ELV.com. All I want to say is there's a film that was put out by liberals, by Democrats, early this fall in September called Kill Chain. You can Google it or don't use Google, Bing it, whatever we use to search, find it, and you can purchase it. And it's essentially a kind of like a um, documentary film, but put together by the left to make the argument that Dominion voting systems and all these other vulnerable voting machines are so vulnerable that people better be wide awake and recognize that Donald Trump might try to steal this election cheating with the Dominion voting machines. This is the left assuming Trump is gonna do what the left actually did in this election cycle. So seek out Kill Chain. And the other thing I mentioned, elv.com, everylegalvote.com. It is not too late. Go to everylegalvote.com. Put your information in there. Pursue, send uh, lawsuits, excuse me, send emails to people who are state legislators telling them you want them to stand up for the truth. It's a way you can sit at home and still be an activist. Um, and then for the final topic today, because I'm almost out of time, very quickly I'll tell you. Um, so our, our dear friend, uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who has been not prosecuted, but persecuted by the, um, well, it was, it was during the Trump administration, but persecuted by the uh, holdover, the Obama holdovers in the DOJ 
uh, the FBI, who cooked up a farce of a case against him. And Flynn is still, uh, you know, he's, he uh, went through, you know, a whole long story, been through a bunch of times, finally got around because of Sidney um, Powell's brilliant lawyering, got around to the DOJ, dismissing all charges, asking the judge to drop the case. And Emmett Sullivan, you know, still wouldn't drop it. And then, as you know, President Trump pardoned him. Full and complete pardon, done with this nightmare of a, of a, a hoax of prosecution. Trump pardoned him, and Emma Sullivan still, still won't dismiss the case. Think about that. The only prosecuting entity possible, DOJ, has said no charges, no case, drop it, please drop it. And, and they did that because they were caught red-handed and have it, it with data, with facts, with evidence that showed they had cooked up the charges against him. They were fraudulent charges. DOJ drops it, and still Emmett Sullivan, who must be in some degree bribed or paid to uh, do what, um, to, to just stay in the, in the game um, and not, um, so he, just, he won't dismiss it. Okay, I said Matt the Wonderful, one clip. I wanna wrap up, I was gonna do it at the start of the show today, but I know you probably couldn't tell. I got a little bit wound up, but I do want to play. Trump was in Georgia yesterday or Saturday, um, and he's doing a rally for these two senators, Republican, Republican senators, uh, who are running now in this special election in Georgia. Uh, and so he did a little rally. I'm going to play a quick clip of him, and then we'll go to our White Matters. And I want to say, hello, Georgia. We did a great job. You know, we won Georgia, just so you understand. I love when he says that kind of thing. I love it. And we won Florida. And we won a lot of places. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're gathered here tonight to ensure a very important word, ensure because these are two great, great people that I know so well and respected by everybody in Washington and beyond, that David Perdue and Kelly Leffler win the most important congressional runoff probably in American history. I really believe that. I think it's an American. There's never been a time like this where you have two at one time, at least you have two beauties. And you know what? You also have two beauties running against them, but beauty in a different way. They're two beauties. <laughs> But there's never been a, a case where a state has had this prominence on uh, Senate races because they're never together. And uh, this is something that's very important and you have to get out and you have to vote. You have to make sure you have every vote counted. Every vote has to count. You gotta make sure they don't throw away any ballots. You gotta make sure that when they collect the ballots and they start bragging about how many ballots they already have, you got to make sure your Secretary of State knows what the hell he's doing. And you got to make sure your governor gets a lot tougher than he's been. He's got to get a lot tougher. <clears throat> okay, I'll tell you one last quick thing and I'll go why it matters to you. So I, I had some media thing and I ended up talking to someone afterwards who was talking about the idea, and I miss this, I will dig it up and find it. But Stacey Abrams, the woman, who, a Democrat who ran for governor, and she's down there, very, very active still in Georgia politics. And they're going to be in this next runoff, this Senate runoff, to choose who represents Georgia in the U.S. Senate. And obviously, as you heard Trump saying, it is the whole, it is, you know, he didn't use this, it's the whole enchilada. If Democrats get the two last seats in the Senate, and they still have the slim majority in the House, and they have, God forbid, Biden gets, gets actually sworn in on the January 20th. It'll be a huge, huge consequence to America. It is a reason to fight this election more than anything else and demand justice. But anyway, down to this thing in Georgia. He's, he's down there basically saying you got to get these two people in. Uh, most important election ever. He's exactly right. So he's down there. And just you look at those crowds. Joe Biden... Okay, this is a president that the left is trying to claim lost. Stacey Abrams, by the way, had said in a media thing recently that she already has, for this upcoming election, 
for the mail-in ballots. They're, they're, they're going to use mail-in ballots again after all the fraud. Mail-in ballots for this special runoff for Senate in Georgia. And Stacey Abrams says it's either 800 or 900,000 mail-in ballots. She said, and I already have 800, 900,000 mail-in ballots. Okay, first of all, why does she have any ballots, number one? Number two, what is she talking about? What is she planning to do? Is she going to sit home and fill them out herself? I mean, who knows? But this, this election for Senate from Georgia could not be more consequential, could not be more um, you know, have, uh, impactful of America's future of liberty, future of freedom, future of fair elections than getting the two Republicans elected. And, of course, the media is already starting with the messaging, well, you know, um, looks like the Democrats are ahead. Looks like Democrats are going to win these uh, two Senate seats. So, um, you know, there's a lot to be done in Georgia. We'll talk about Georgia more in the next few weeks. But anyway, Trump was down there getting a crowd after he supposedly has lost re-election, which he ha didn't, a crowd of that size hysterically chanting, we love you. Joe Biden has never had a crowd like that in his life for any event of any kind he has ever done. Do you ever think about that? Trump has endless events like this. People just can't wait to come. And what they love about him is that he loves America. It's not a cult of personality for Trump. It's a, if you want to use the word cult, the left is always saying that Trump supporters are a cult of personality. It's not. It's people who love America and finally can hear from a candidate or elected official who also loves America as much as they do. That's why they love Trump. And that crowd there was massive, something Biden could never have, have created in one million years. And yet we're supposed to believe that Biden got more votes than Trump in Georgia. Does not comport, my very fine friends, with reality, with the basic common sense reality test. Okay, at the end of every show, I always tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started out today, or beginning of the show, asked the right election fraud question. Americans are far beyond the mainstream media rituals. There is no evidence of fraud. There's overwhelming evidence. Trump hasn't proved the fraud. Proof was obvious on election night. No fraud would have changed the outcome. The fraud's purpose was to install Biden. No fraud means no President Biden. We're getting rid of fraud, so we're not having Biden. Millions of Americans can see the truth. There was an orchestrated vicious attack on America via massive election and voter fraud intended to prevent the re-election of President Trump. The only question left, is there any institution or official left that will defend the Republic? Or will everything depend on the actions of the American people? And we had Alito and election litigation status. SCOTUS, uh, Supreme Court Justice Alito's demand for an expedited hearing may signal Supreme Court action to be taken before the December 14th meeting of the Electoral College. But Sidney Powell's lawsuits in Michigan and Georgia were dismissed at the trial court level. At some point in the face of overwhelming evidence of massive orchestrated fraud, if and when judges wave it all away and let the steal take place, are they in violation of their oath of office to defend the Constitution? The future of freedom is at a pivotal crossroads, and millions of Americans know it. And on the Kill Chain and EveryLegalVote.com, EveryLegalVote.com, watch Kill Chain, a pre-election documentary produced by Democrats to highlight U.S. election systems' vulnerability to fraud. The Dems unwittingly made the case for Trump, justly overturning the fraud. Go to everylegalvote.com. You can take actions that will be visible to public officials. The ruling class of 2020 has never experienced a true uprising of the American people. 74 million plus Trump voters are an unprecedented force if they stand up now. Call or contact elected officials, including your Congress, your member of Congress, your two senators, and demand the fraud be overturned. The John Cornyns of the ruling class must be made to hear the American people. And that, my very fine friends, is my show for today. We have, sorry, we have one more slide. So sorry. No, we didn't. Oh, yeah, sweet. So sorry. Sullivan's still, I'm sorry. People, we got to get our last slide in. Sorry. Sullivan's still flogging Flynn. D.C. Swamp Judge Emmett Sullivan is now threatening to challenge President Trump's pardon. He's actually threatening to challenge it of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Sullivan has done monumental damage to the reputation of the federal judiciary. His hyperpartisan vendetta 
wrapped in the robes of justice is devastating to respect the, for the judicial system in the face of documented criminal framing of Flynn by America's FBI and DOJ, it is simply a stunning defiance of truth and justice. The swamp has corrupted everything in Washington, D.C. And now, my very fine friends, that's my show for today. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and this is America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear